We are continuing our series on gospel, the gospel from the book of Galatians. And um, Cynthia came up with a title, or maybe it was right out of the book, um, but I changed the title. Um, the title I've given to this message is, You Are Not That Important. So, isn't that just great? Like, after you, there's a few things in, in Paul's writings that um, are fun to quote, but, you know, you do have to look at them in context. Of course, we have many, many scriptures that show us how important we are in the eyes of God and how each one of us is unique and special and that God gave his own son to die for us. And, but Paul um, comes out with some just great one-liners sometimes, and one of them here in Galatians chapter 6 is those words. You are not that important, but we'll get to it, and we'll figure out uh, what this means. I think I can take this off now. There we go. Okay. So let's uh, start with the passage from... Uh, the, the end of Galatians 5. So if you're using a pew Bible, that is on page 975. It's up there on the screen. And I'm going back to verse 24 to sort of get the connection. of, uh, And then we'll go into a little bit of Galatians 6. So here's what it says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Today's message has to do with the practical living out of our faith and how it should change and affect our behavior, specifically in our relationships to each other. So first of all, I want to remind us what Paul wrote in his last, the last book that we have in the Bible written by Paul. He said, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So, bad news today. The word of God doesn't just encourage us and make us feel warm and good. It would probably be nice if we could just come to church each Sunday and feel just great when we left, that we were just pumped up and built up and everything was just, just wonderful. But the Word of God actually corrects us and instructs us. In the end, if we follow it and obey it, yes, it's great, and it helps us a lot. But it's not always just sort of the pleasant things. Any of you that have been involved in sports at school, you know very well that when it's out for practice time for football, I remember some of those workouts, and they were not fun. Uh, and you would have been amazed if 
you'd gone out for high school football and a coach had simply told you just it's okay, just sort of jog around the track, but take it easy, you know, don't, don't break a sweat and uh, make sure you don't get any bruises or anything and we'll just sort of save everything for the game. You would know that's not a good coach. So the Word of God gives us teaching and some of it we have to kind of gulp and say, yeah, okay, maybe I do need to hear that. Let's see what happens today. He starts off this by saying, those who belong to Christ Jesus. And so I would suggest today that this message is for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If there's some here who do not yet know Christ Jesus as their own Savior, to you I would say, he invites you into his family. He invites you to belong. And this is the best place to belong in the family of God. There is nothing better. Just a little bit earlier in Galatians, it says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we come into the family of God, or as we come into the family of God, we recognize and rejoice in the fact that the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, loves us. And it's very personal. As Paul says in Galatians 2, he loves me and gave himself for me. There is no better verse, in my view, for us to understand what it means to actually be a Christian, to actually be one who trusts and follows Jesus. It is to grasp, to make it your own. The Son of God loves me and gave himself for me. If you can say that from your heart, then you are a child of God. And if you cannot, then you don't yet belong. And I invite you to come in today and belong by recognizing the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and recognizing that he died for you. So this verse starts with those who belong to Christ Jesus. And then it says, have, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. There is nothing gentle about the cross. Have you ever tried to, some of you with young children may remember this, you're trying to put up a picture at night and you're trying to nail a nail into the wall but do it softly. You ever tried to do that? It's very frustrating. Because a nail needs to be hammered. You've got to put some strength to it, and it's going to make some noise. The analogy that God uses here by his spirit for the subject that we're going to cover, he says, he, he parallels it to the cross of Christ. And he says, those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. God is calling us as those that belong to Christ Jesus to 
be to, to put effort into this, to put work into this, to do some pounding. Because the, our natural passions and desires, they don't, they don't lay down easily. They don't go away easily. They tend to rise up and they tend to empower us and they tend to, to get hold of us and they do a lot of damage. In verse 25, he says, Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What we discover when we are those that belong to Christ Jesus is that we have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he is God, and he comes to live in our hearts. And it is he that enables us. It is he that empowers us. So this is not a, um, just a, a lecture in terms of improving oneself. Okay, We cannot do that by ourselves. It is the work of the Holy Spirit working in us to mold us and shape us and to empower us to do these things. Now in verse 26, we start to get into what he's going to tell us. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So, why do I put a ping pong paddle up there? So the last two years, there's, it's been COVID time. COVID time means not much going out. Everything sort of stayed at home. Well, Katie and I, for 25 years, we have had a ping pong table down in our basement. That ping pong table has been used to sort, to use, do different projects, to hold clothes, um, all sorts of things that ping pong table has been used for, rarely for ping pong. But of course, what happened with COVID was, we were all of a sudden at home a lot. So, Katie and I took up ping pong. For those that don't know me, Katie is my dear wife of 45 years. And we have become, in our own minds, the global champions of ping pong. And as long as COVID continues, we're good. We are the champions. We are the undisputed champions. However, our fear is that as COVID is lifting, that perhaps we are going to be challenged. So, in life we end up with these grand feelings about ourselves or sometimes not so grand feelings about ourselves. And depending on our own perspective of our self-worth and of our just who we are, we tend to react to different situations. Since... Katie and I consider ourselves to be such champions, then we could become a little bit arrogant in the discussing of ping pong. However, I'm going to be, Lord willing, in Denver at the head office of Youth for Christ in a couple of weeks, and I have bragged blatantly in Zoom calls about my phenomenal skills now in ping pong. And so... The folks in Denver have set up a ping pong tournament to happen when I get there. Okay. 
Well, depending on what happens at that tournament, my, my view of myself might change dramatically, for better or for worse. Now, keep that image in mind as we read through what, what Paul is talking about here. Okay, so just sort of keep that in the back of your mind. So Paul says here, let us have not be conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. The conceited is about ourselves and then the provoking one another and being jealous of one another is about others. Clearly what is happening here is how we perceive ourselves, what goes on in us, then affects our relationships. It affects how we react to the different situations that come along. The word conceited or self-conceit is in uh, the King James it says vain glory. We tend to then, if we have that self-conceit problem, then we tend to provoke or envy. So that word, which I won't try to say in Greek, it's the, the self-conceit or the conceited. According to John Stott, it's, uh, he, he says it means those who have an opinion of themselves which is empty, vain, or false. Then he says something that made me grin. He says he is the person with this vain glory is cherishing an illusion about himself. Think back to my ping pong. Right now, I am cherishing an illusion about myself. And it will be corrected when I actually play against some people who are good at ping pong. So I end up with this vain glory or this conceit because it hasn't yet been tested. When it gets tested, one of two things is going to happen. Either I will end up provoking or I will end up being jealous. If I win, then I'm going to end up bragging and saying to the others how they better work on their game, you know, get themselves better. And if, in fact, they beat me, then I'm going to be jealous. It's pretty simple. We react one of the two ways when we are in a position of vainglory or of an illusion about ourselves. So the root question is, where do we have illusions about ourselves? Because where we do, or in the way that we do, or in the measure that we do, it's then going to affect our relationships with one another. So he says, Paul says, we either provoke or envy. So... <clears throat> You could also see this as if you have a feeling of superiority or if you have a feeling of inferiority. And I would suggest that with our different personalities, some of us tend to superiority and some of us tend to inferiority. And it, it ties in with those two things of provoking or envying. Let's think about this as we go along. It contrasts with the fruit of the Spirit, of course, which Christians are to exhibit, what we are supposed to be doing, if we are, in fact, walking in the Spirit. 
In Romans 12 and 3, um, the scripture says, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think. So there's, there's, that's, the, that's the solution to it. The Holy Spirit has to open our eyes to see our sin and our unworthiness. When we see ourselves in a true light, then it helps us to stop the provoking or the envying. So, <clears throat> let's go to a little self-analysis here. So, if we are the ones that tend to provoke, then it's because we have a superiority. We're, we're, we're better. Like my game right now of ping pong. The tendency when we are feeling that we are above others is that when somebody attacks us, when somebody says something that disses us in some way, we tend to blow up. We get angry. We pick arguments. We look down on people. When we're criticized, we get angry and attack back. Or we have that sense that how such so-and-so is behaving, I would never do that. This is uh, thanks to Tim Keller, by the way. Um, I virtually stole this from Tim Keller. So just, just want to be very clear on that. Um, when we have the other side, which is inferiority, then we tend to clam up. We avoid confrontation. We get embarrassed or intimidated. When we get criticized, we get discouraged. And we feel like we could never accomplish what the other person is accomplishing. I suggest, and I just reflected on this. I, didn't, I, I don't really have any, um, any way to prove this, but I just kind of feel like there's those of us that tend to be one, maybe it's in certain situations, but I feel like our general personalities tend to be one way or tend to the other way. So we tend to either be those that provoke or those that are uh, envious. Clearly, this is not what God wants us to do. It is not how he wants us to be. And so his word to us is, let us not be this way. And the, the way to not be is to live by the Spirit and to keep step by the Spirit, as he's told us in the previous verse. So it is by keeping close to the Lord and helping him to show us that we can then react well in these situations. There's a great verse that we actually looked at in our earlier service from Hebrews chapter 5, where it actually talks about the Lord Jesus himself, and it talks about um, the high priests in the Old Testament, that because they were conscious of their own sins, they were then able to be merciful and kind and forgiving to those that were under their care. In that, we see a pattern or something that helps us in wrestling with these things in our own personalities. The gospel helps us to see ourselves in the true light of who we are, that we are sinners, saved by God's grace. We do not deserve anything. Everything we have is a gift. And yet we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the, the result of the gospel, it, it enables us to be bold and yet humble. For us to be able to have courage 
and yet not have conceit. So, let's look now at the way this gets lived out. Because Paul sort of gives us this teaching in this one verse about let, don't become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Then he takes us to five verses that sort of lay out the practical of this in terms of our working it out with others. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, so again, notice he's still talking to those that belong, those that are part of the family of God. If another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. There you go. Pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. I put some parenthesis in there because, you, I don't know if you can see it or not, but the thought, to me you've got sort of two uh, instructions in verses 1 and 2. And then he puts this sort of parenthesis there. By the way, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourselves. You're not that important. And then another parenthesis at, at verse 5, when he's talking about paying attention to your own work, he says, we are, each, we are each responsible for our own conduct, or we should each bear our own burden. Okay, so let's go to the next one, and I'll break this down into these three categories. Others, a visit to a cardiologist in the middle, and then ourselves. So, first of all, when it comes to others. In Ecclesiastes 10 and 10, I love the verse that says, using a dull axe requires great strength. So sharpen the blade. It's just such a cool proverb or principle. And any of us that have chopped wood know exactly what that is all about. If the axe is blunt, you got to swing like crazy to chop that wood. You sharpen the axe and ah, it's a whole different experience. And you and I need to take time to sharpen our axe, to basically be working on ourselves before we work on others. In this, the, I believe the key to doing this well is right in the verse, because he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. I believe that when we as a family, as those that are in the body of Christ, when we want to correct someone else, what has to happen is a recognition, first of all, that we are perfectly capable of doing the same thing ourselves. If that is truly the spirit that's in our own hearts, then I believe the correction will come out gently. But you can't fake this. This is something that has to do with our own recognition of our own sinful hearts. If I really believe in my own heart that yes, I am capable of doing whatever my brother or sister is failing in, and I really believe that, then I'm going to be gentle and patient in terms of coming alongside that brother or sister. 
But if somewhere in my own soul, I believe that I am above that, that that wouldn't really be possible for me, then I'm going to come across in a very condescending way, and it's going to be not well received. So, if someone is overtaken by a sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the path. I'm not always sure that when we correct someone or speak into someone else's life, it's even about getting them back onto the path. I feel like often with the treachery of our own hearts, it's to try to have me look better than them. It's to try to, to, to sort of point out that gap and that difference. Brothers and sisters, we are all sinners saved by the grace of God. We are all capable of every sin except to truly deny the Lord Jesus Christ from our hearts. So we can't stand in judgment of our brothers and sisters. We come alongside, we gently encourage, we gently try to help them back onto the path, recognizing that we are capable of falling the same way ourselves. Now, what I say, the visit to the cardiologist. So if you think you are too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You are not that important. So when the verse, the verse that says you are not that important is the answer to if you think you are too important to help someone else. None of us would like to say, I, I think I'm too important to help somebody else. None of us would want to admit that. We would all want to say, absolutely not. Of course I'm ready to help somebody else. But there's stuff that goes on in our own hearts that is tricky. And we got we, we to gotta wrestle with this stuff and be able to examine it in our own hearts. I had a situation not too long ago in my own life in the body with my brothers and sisters where I felt that someone said something very negative and very attacking towards me. I came home that night pretty proud that I had not responded. I had stayed calm. And I, I felt pretty good about that. And I was thinking about James chapter 3, that uh, where it talks about the, or James 2 is it, where it talks about the tongue. And basically how the tongue, you got to control your tongue. And I was feeling pretty good. Like, I controlled my tongue there. Way back, many years ago, there was a brother that came to this church whose name was Jack. And I'm hoping that one day, Dave and Pat are going to have, I think, some more grandchildren and so on in their family. And I'm just hoping that one of them one day actually gets that name again. Because this man, Jack, that came to this church... He, I thought of him as I was driving home, because I thought to myself, Dave, the difference between you and Jack, I'm speaking about Dave Dawson's dad, Jack Dawson, the difference between me and, and Jack Dawson is that I was upset, but I managed to control my tongue. I thought as I was driving home, Jack wouldn't even have been upset. And that's what true humility is. He, he, he wouldn't have been, I, I've 
walked alongside that dear brother for many years. He built into me as a younger brother. And the humility that that man showed me over and over again was incredible. But I knew the difference right there. And so I say, and I, this spoke to me as I was preparing this, if you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself, you're not that important. Who do I think I am? Why do I react? Why do I have to bite my tongue? I sort of go, the fact that I had to bite my tongue showed that I had a problem. I was thinking too highly of myself. And so I reacted and needed to control it. Brothers and sisters, you and I, are sinners saved by grace. Everything that we have, everything that we are, is only because of the Lord Jesus. We need to recognize that. And as we get hold of that, we will be able to help anyone. We will be able to come alongside anyone because we won't have that ugly flesh rising up saying, you're too important. Lastly, ourselves. Pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. For we are each responsible for our own conduct or to carry our own burden. So in verse 2, it says in the version that we have, this one, the ESV, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. In the fifth verse, it says, we are each responsible to bear our own burden or, to, or for our own conduct. It's very interesting. It's actually two different words and it means two different things. There are heavy burdens that you and I need to come alongside and help each other with. But there is also a sense in which you and I are each given certain trials, we're each given a heritage, we're each given a, those things in our early lives that shaped us and made us who we are today, and then we are given certain gifts and talents, we're given certain, a setting in which we live, we're given relationships, and we are given trials and difficulties. And each of us are responsible for how we carry out our lives based on what God has given to us. So we carry each other's burdens, we come alongside each other, but we also need to remember that we each are responsible. There's a time coming for each of us that know and follow Jesus, where we will stand before the Lord Jesus ourselves, and we, it'll be a one-on-one -on -one meeting, and you and I will be responsible for what we did in our lives here. Let's make sure we're living those lives for his glory. The perfect example we have, brothers and sisters, in all of this is from the Lord Jesus himself. And in Philippians 2, we have that laid out so well. And I'll just close with this. From verse 3 of Philippians 2, don't be selfish, don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. 
Therefore God elevated him to the highest place of honor in heaven and gave him that name that is above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an example you and I have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that part of the gospel a core part of the gospel is that we are sinners saved by grace. And as we grasp that, as we in the measure that we understand that, then we recognize that we are crucified with Christ and nevertheless we live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in us and the life that we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. So Father, we pray that you would help us to grasp this and then to live it out and that it would affect our relationships. Lord, where there is strife or division or struggles in our families, in our relationships with spouses, with children, with parents. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to examine these scriptures and to live them out. Lord, in our relationships as a church family, we pray that we would live these out. And in our community and in our lost and broken world, we pray that we would also model this. And Father, we know that you have left us in the life and the death of the Lord Jesus. You have left us a perfect example. So we thank you. We lift the name of Jesus high today, and we do so in his precious name. Amen.